and welcome to Cecil Radio, a chance to talk through all kinds of topics about Cecil. I'm Susan Weber, 26-year banker experienced in all things Cecil and credit risk, and today you're in for a real treat as I'm joined by not one, but two guests and great colleagues, Kaylin Landry and Brooke Wells. Welcome. Hi, Susan. Thanks for having us today. Hi, Susan. Thank you. It's so great to see you. And just for quick introductions before we get right into today's discussion, um, Kaylin is a senior manager and CPA in our financial services practice group. And one of her many talents is helping clients understand, set up, and comply with FIDESHA and SOC standards for internal controls. And our listeners may know Brooke as co-host of our recently released In the Spotlight series, where we got to know our financial services practice group leadership team better. And I learned that along with Brooke's many professional talent. She also has a great sense of humor. She kept us rolling with those audit jokes. <laughs> um, and Brooke has recently assisted our team in developing Cecil-specific internal controls for uh, for audits that are coming up. So with Kaylin's and Brooke's background in control work, it should come as no surprise that our topic today is Cecil controls. So Kaylin, this past year, you've been um, part of the team laying the foundation for Cecil audits in 2023. What are what is some of the work um, that you've done that relate to those controls? You know, can you describe that for us? Yeah, thanks, Susan. Um, thanks for that great introduction as well. So really looking back, um, you know, over the past year or so, um, Susan, as well as our audit working group for Cecil have working hard just over the methodology and everything. And lastly, we took um, the past few months really switched our focus to Fidesha 404 and internal control over financial reporting as it relates to Cecil specifically and kind of you know, what type of changes were we expecting from the old allowance for loan loss and then moving to the CECL um, for most of the in entities out there as of 1-1-2023? And so really, you know, underlying foundation of the controls that you had in place for the old allowance would still come into play for CECL, but it's really focused on, you know, the specific items that are documented in there and how you're going to document your review of that. And so when we're looking at the foundation and the naming convention of some of the key items that we typically see controls over is really the review of that, like making sure you have a foundational review over your CECL, the, um, all the work that goes into that and what the underlying number is at the end of the day that you're going to be reporting. But obviously it takes the point of A to B to get to that final number and making sure that whole process is somehow documented and captured within your matrices. And so if we go a little bit further on that, also looking at any of the critical items that go into that, you know, I know charge offs is a big one. How is that approved? How is that documented? And so when you think of that overall, our approach to that is rather than having an individual key control for all those different items that may go into your CISO methodology, data segmenting, we looked at approaching it from a checklist perspective. Um, and so therefore we as a firm have created an adequacy CECL control checklist that really helps walk you through all the different items that you would have to be reviewing within your CECL methodology documentation um, and helps to explain like the frequency of those. And then if you look kind of beyond CECL, um, one of the big new things that kind of came into place, I think for a lot of folks is vendor, is the vendor software. Mm -hmm. And so utilizing a vendor software does add some additional control considerations that we need to think about and so when you're thinking about a vendor what comes with that is your due diligence you have due diligence that you have to perform over the vendor and making sure you're obtaining like their SOC 1 reports and that 
um, review is documented appropriately and that you're also providing your responses to the user entity control considerations that are within those SOC reports and mm -hmm. obtaining any gap letters or bridge letters that are available to make sure it's covering your full audit year. Um, say if you're 1231 year end, that would be from January 1 to 1231 for that. And then you also want to make sure that some type of your controls are considering access to the software because this software should be noted as a critical financial reporting software and so therefore controls over who has access to it um, are documented and then also who's terminated from the entity that making sure that their access to the software because a lot of them have online access that their access to that software is terminated upon their termination as well. Ooh, so a lot of great structural and foundation work really to ensure that that control environment for CECL is sound and a lot of new elements to think about too, right? Between vendors and just um, the system access even beyond the adequacy. So maybe we could dig into some of these a little bit more. You know, Brooke, can you give us an idea of some of the key aspects of a good adequacy checklist? Yeah, so we've come up with basically eight categories um, that we think are the most important to dive into. Um, so one would be segment segmentation and pooling. Um, so that's really your accuracy and completeness of your data. Um, modeling, which is like data settings, um, data, any adjustments in any calculations, anything along those lines, um, adjustments to historical losses, forecasts, reversions, third parties, and then the last category is really just your conclusion. So I really like how straightforward the checklist approach is to the process. Um, and for those folks who are now using vendor solutions for CECL, that may also allow them to make notations within the system itself. Is there any advice, um, Kaylin, that you have for them when it comes to controls? You know, thinking specifically about evidencing their review in all of these categories and what they checked. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one thing you have to consider is if the software itself um, is a point in time consideration. So if you're going in, especially your internal auditors, if they're going in to kind of check to see all the different changes that you've made, if they're only able to see the different changes that have been made at that point in time for the CECL um, method that you have in place, at that date, then you're going to have to come up with some type of system for you to be able to document all the changes that you made, whether it's on a monthly basis, a quarterly basis. Um, again, this is going to be set by your internal policies and procedures that you kind of came up with as you're working through your CECL methodology and documentation. And that review process and change process should be consistent with how this is documented. And so sometimes that might mean looking at the screens that you can go into and make different changes and you can do screenshots of that to indicate, you know, what you've looked at and what you may have changed um, depending on the frequency or utilizing that checklist that Brooke said really should help walk you through each of the specific items that you want to be reviewing on a consistent basis and making sure that you have someone who's entering that change and then someone who's actually signing off as the reviewer of that change um, and making sure that, you know, when that person is signing off as a reviewer, documenting what that review means, um, because just mm. a sign off doesn't really indicate, you know, what they've actually reviewed in that process. Did they go in the system and verify like, yes, this is now point A instead of point B, like it was the last time that they were in there and making sure they have specific items documented for what that control review means to them and that they're following through on that and that they're able to provide some type of either like historical or audit trail, a change report, 
um, or the use of this checklist if those aren't available in the vendor, because obviously each vendor and each software is going to be a little bit different with the reporting aspects that they have. Um, but just making sure you are thinking about that to be able to support any of your fluctuations, changes um, and review that's done throughout the audit year. I really love that suggestion because I, you know, I've talked to so many people who have said, you know, we've invested in software and this allows us to do certain things and we would really like to get out of all of this extra, you know, paper baggage that we kind of carry around with us. And so I think the point is really helpful that um, the, that you made that if you're going to be reviewing, if somebody's going to preparing be preparing things in the run and somebody or in the calculation, and then somebody is going to be reviewing that back behind. Um, if you have a document that says when I review, this is specifically what my review or signature means, and that can get uploaded or stay with the run, the calculation itself, the the production run or the calculation itself. It just is. It just simplifies the process, right? So, um, but I love your suggestion too about you know maybe there are certain screenshots that would be helpful to capture at the same time. Still thinking about how you don't carry all that paperweight forward, right? There's there's lots of great automated ways to do things like that. That's awesome. Um, well, Brooke, leading up to CECL adoption, we focused a lot of attention on the changes that CECL introduces. Specifically, many folks are sending files to their vendor now with a lot more data points on them for CECL. What should people be thinking about when it comes to controls around that data? Yeah, so good question. Um, so basically outside of your immediate CECL controls, um, we like to remind people that you should be reevaluating um, what you've identified as a critical data point um, in like the loan setup process, the onboarding, maintenance and quality control areas, just to ensure that any new data that's being relied on is, um, is really being reviewed for CECL. That's a great point because um, so often we think about those controls being in the immediate um, production of the disclosures and the calculation itself. And it's a good reminder that sometimes the data that that you ultimately rely on happens earlier in the process and maybe in other departments and areas. And so those checklists need to be updated and matrices need to be updated too. That's great. So Kaylin, there isn't a one size fits all when it comes to controls, right? Is there anything different people should be considering depending on the size of their institution? Yeah, absolutely. So controls are important no matter the size, no matter what size you are, right? Especially over a new accounting pronouncement, adopting that and making sure you have all your um, ducks in a row to be able to be compliant with that and come out with a good, you know, reasonable estimate is what they're looking for under CECL. Um, and so really the focus of that is on depending on your asset size. And so therefore, you know, if you are a bank that is over a billion and needs to be compliant under fiducia internal control over financial reporting, or if you are an SEC public filing company that means the requirements of a SOX 404 internal control audit, then that really hones in on the importance of making sure your matrices are updated appropriately to now reflect CECL instead of the ALLL, which we used to refer to it as, um, and that your review process is documented thoroughly and making sure um, earlier, as Brooke had just said, all those data points, making sure those are somehow captured in the matrices, whether it's within other loan controls, and then also just for your overall CECL documentation, looking at that and, you know, your review frequency and honing back in, and especially if we're a SOX 404, this is very plugged by the PCOB is on those management review controls. So if you have a sign off, mm. that's great. But again, we just stress the importance of documenting what that sign off actually means. What did you review during that process, providing evidence that it was reviewed, 
providing a sign off, but also just the historical um, trail of what that is for that. And so that will really help for when it comes time to testing of these controls on a quarterly basis or however frequently they're tested by your internal audit department, that they're able to actually see that concrete auditable evidence to be able to indicate like, yes, this review is in place and I know what exactly this sign off is. Um, you know, if you find yourself working through these, you know, you've got the adoption down for the number that you're looking for, but now you're kind of working through your controls, certainly reach out to us um, at Barry Dunn. We do a lot of consulting work on the Fiducia and SOX 404 internal control through our consulting employees. So therefore, you know, we have the resources available and can certainly help you through any of this. That's actually such a relief because I know the control environment can feel um, very mysterious to some people, you know, especially if they're not, um, you know, very adept in it. And certainly as the as you grow in size as an institution, the level of expected um, evidence is stronger, right? And so, you know, helping people navigate and maneuver that, um, you know, leaning into some real experts is really helpful. So I'm so happy you reminded folks about our consulting services for just that. Um, you know, Brooke, if people have other questions about controls, how else can they reach us? Susan, it is so easy to reach us. All you have to do is go onto our website and there's an ask the advisor feature uh, where you can ask a very specific question and maybe we could do another podcast episode specifically for that or just reach out with anything general and we can try to get back to you that way. That sounds great. And I will probably go ahead and um, link that uh, location right into the podcast description. And Kaylin, we do have a few resources people can explore on their own as well. How could they access those? Yeah, that's great, Susan. So for those of you that are tuning in and need to be compliant under Fiducia ICFR or SOX 404, we have a full compliance site um, available on barrydone.com that relates to all of these items. And you can also find an additional podcast specifically related to Fiducia, um, COSO framework. And if you are struggling with the concept of SOC reviews as well, um, SOC review reports for your vendors, we also have a, another um, podcast available specifically on that and items that you should be looking through for through that review but in any event if you can't find any of that like brooke said go ahead and put in a um, request to ask the advisor and someone can point you in the right direction perfect so that's wonderful and kaylin and brooke thank you so much for joining in the cecil discussion today and for some really really great tips and actions our listeners can take to ensure strong controls over the cecil calculation and thanks too to our listeners for tuning in no matter if you're new to cecil or adopted years ago we're here to help you either validate and refine um, aspects of your model your methodology controls for sure and any of your model risk management practices so we hope you'll plan to join us next time here on cecil radio Thank you.